Sales need to replace gifting to save lives. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Benjamin Hippen. Dr. Hippen is a transplant nephrologist in private practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an at-large member of the Ethics Committee of Eunice, the United Network for Organ Sharing, and he is also an associate editor of the American Journal of Transplantation. Thank you, Dr. Hippen, for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to be discussing today why there's no waiting list for organ transplants in Iran. But before that, briefly, Dr. Hippen, could you just tell us what Eunice is dealing with as far as our present waiting list is? Certainly. The waiting list for kidneys in the United States now approaches 80,000 patients, and the waiting list for all solid organs is rapidly approaching 100,000 patients. Recipients who need different organs obviously have different issues, and my specialty is people who need kidney transplants. But what's happened in the last several years is that the median waiting time for organs has gone up precipitously to the point where now many people are waiting five years or more, and in some parts of the country as long as 10 years for an organ. And that is, in many cases, longer than the expected lifespan of many of these patients. I've read where 18 people a day are dying who are on the waiting list and over 100 are joining the waiting list on a regular basis. Medicare pays $21 billion for the whole dialysis chronic renal disease program, which represents only about 0.6% of all Medicare recipients. So a huge amount of money is going to a relatively small group of patients. Is there some kind of possible profit motive to keep people on dialysis as opposed to transplantation? Well, I can't really comment on that. People who are on dialysis frequently have many medical problems. They are, in some cases, particularly towards the end of their lives, in the hospital a great amount. Patients on dialysis require careful monitoring of their dialysis access. All of these things cost money. It just happens to be an expensive modality. As to the profit motives of others, I can only speak for myself. I work in a multi-specialty nephrology group that sustains several transplant nephrologists alongside general nephrologists, and the reason that we do that is that we believe that there are different modalities that are right for different people, and we try and make all of those available to our patients. Having said that, the quality of life with a transplant certainly is much better than being on chronic dialysis. And in Iran, we now have a situation where nobody waits for an organ, certainly to the length of time that they do in the United States. Could you tell me what the Iranians are doing that's different than us? What is their system like? Well, in Iran, since 1988, there has been a market of sorts in organs from living vendors. And this occurred because the Iranians in the mid-80s were facing a burgeoning number of patients with kidney failure, and dialysis in Iran, as with in the United States, was a very expensive way to try and keep people alive. Transplantation by the mid-1980s, especially with the advent of cyclosporin, an immunosuppression medicine that was introduced for general use in 1984, made transplantation considerably safer than it used to be. And because cyclosporin was increasingly becoming available, it also made it a lot cheaper than dialysis. But because the Iranians did not have a deceased donor program, because they didn't have the infrastructure for a deceased donor program, they started a system whereby they would purchase organs 
from living vendors. And since 1999, they haven't had a waiting list. How do they go about getting vendors? Do they advertise? The patient-run charity, the Dialysis and Transplant Patient Association, is among them, does indeed advertise in an informal way. But my understanding is that a lot of the information about this occurs by word of mouth. These are public storefronts, and people know what goes on there. Could you give me an idea in American dollars what it costs for a vendor to give his kidney? A vendor is typically paid in two ways. First, reimbursement through the state, which is a fixed payment, which is approximately $1,200 U.S. And then there's a second payment that is negotiated by the vendor and the recipient's family, which generally runs $2,300 to $4,600 U.S. And if the recipient or the recipient's family is too impoverished to pay, then that money is negotiated by and paid by the nonprofit patient-run charity. As an ethicist, as well as a nephrologist, and somebody who is committed to the care of his patients, could you tell me what's good about this system and what's bad about it? There are a few good things about the Iranian system, in my judgment. The first is that it has, in fact, succeeded in eliminating the waiting list, and so it has succeeded in preventing people from unnecessarily suffering and dying on dialysis who would otherwise benefit from a transplant. That's the obvious one. The structural features that I find ethically appealing about Iran is the separation between the identification and recruitment of potential organ vendors from the obligation to evaluate and make a judgment about the candidacy of a vendor. So the transplant centers are not part of the process of recruiting and identifying vendors, and thus they are not under any particular pressure to approve this or that vendor because they don't uniquely benefit from approving one vendor over another. In that way, by separating those roles, the physicians who are responsible for the medical and surgical evaluation of the safety of the procedure can undertake that without being under pressure to accept this or that vendor. I think that's very important. The other interesting feature of the Iranian system from the recipient side is that unlike the underground practice of organ trafficking, which we often hear about in the popular media, the outcomes for recipients in the Iranian system are comparable to outcomes from people who receive either deceased donor organs or organs from living-related, biologically-related donors. So the 10-year graph, that is the kidney transplant outcomes, for people who have kidneys from who were purchased from vendors, is about 45% of 10 years. And for comparison, in the United States, that number is about 54% of 10 years, so quite comparable. And indeed, it's not statistically significantly different from outcomes from non-purchased kidneys in Iran. That stands in sharp contrast to the reported outcomes from organs that are purchased through a black market exchange in India or Pakistan or the Philippines, where it is widely appreciated that both the people selling those kidneys under those conditions, as well as the people receiving those kidneys, do quite poorly. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Benjamin Hippen, nephrologist and ethicist with Eunice the United Network for Organ Sharing. 
We've had great success with following up our particular donors as far as what happens to them. But now we're beginning to talk about using marginal organs. That is, an older donor, somebody with protein in his urine, hypertension. If we begin to expand our pool of donors to include these types of donors, are we likely to see an increased level of fatalities? That's an interesting and complicated question. There is some move in some centers to considering living donors who are older who have high blood pressure that are controlled with one medication. I would say that still the majority of centers in the United States would not consider a donor in that situation. And I think that many people who do living donor transplantation are mindful of the fact that donating an organ is technically a procedure that that donor does not need. And consequently, the obligation to avoid foreseeable harm for that donor, both in the short and the long term, is paramount. This is complicated by the fact that the long-term data on donor outcomes is indirect best. There is no long-term, and when I say long-term, I mean more than 10 years, prospective study of living kidney donors. There are a handful of longer-term retrospective studies, but those are of necessity methodologically flawed and incomplete because they can't find everybody. But your point is well taken because as the growing demand for organs continues, there is increased pressure from a variety of sources to consider for candidacy living donors who probably shouldn't be donors. And this includes pressure from the donors themselves. After all, if a recipient has a donor who's a loved one and that recipient is either facing years and years of dialysis or getting a kidney from their loved one who in many cases wants to be a donor, then relative contraindications or concerns about long-term issues in that donor may be waved away by the donor themselves. The donor themselves may be putting a lot of pressure on the transplant professionals to approve them for donor candidacy. And that puts transplant professionals in a very difficult situation. In closing, is there some way that we could have a hybrid system where we would have the best of both systems? Oh, that's the sort of system that I support. Just to illustrate, there is some concern that if a regulated market in organs were instituted in the United States, the donation would disappear. This is phrased in a variety of different ways, but the concern is that people will either be repulsed by the idea of a regulated market and hence will not donate their organs, or they won't see a need to donate their organs. And I don't believe that. I am a registered organ donor, and I plan to donate my organs whether there is a regulated market or not. And it's difficult for me to imagine in a country where the rhetoric of the gift of life promulgated by organ procurement organizations is so pervasive that a lot of people don't feel the same way. So I think that the nice thing about a regulated market is that it gives you choices. If you want to be a donor, you can be a donor. If you're a recipient who only wants to receive a kidney that has been donated and not purchased, you can do that. Indeed, in a system where there is a market that exists alongside a system of altruistic donation, the choice to only receive a donated organ is one that need not be fatal for the recipient. I want to thank Dr. Benjamin Hippen, and we've been discussing a new model or a model that might be adjusted to meet the needs in the United States. And certainly he suggests, and I concur, also being a registered organ donor, that altruism is not going to disappear. 
The gift of life will continue to motivate people to give organs. I also think that directed donation, having the opportunity to give an organ that you really know about, you know the medical history when you give an organ because it is your organ, also will continue. But I do think we have an opportunity to certainly save lives. So once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Hippen for being our guest, and we've been discussing organ transplantation and the possible purchases of organs from vendors. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code, quote, radio, unquote, and receive six months free streaming for your office or home. If you have any comments or suggestions, call us at 888 MDXM 157. Thank you for listening.